Welcome to the return slot of horror. A podcast set in the basement of a video store much like the one from your youth. A place where Mickey, Marika, and Michelangelo hang out after hours, talk about horror films, and can't seem to agree on much other than their love for the genre. So grab a drink, be careful on the stairs, and don't be the last one left in the basement at the end of the night. <laughs> Welcome, listener, to the return slot of horror. A podcast recorded in the basement of a video store. After hours when the doors are locked, the VHSs are rewound, and the moon is glowing pale blue on a brisk and breezy night. We like to hang out in the basement, crack open a drink, and discuss our beloved genre horror. Every episode, we invite you to join us for a drink in the basement as we discuss a film selected from one of our painstakingly curated subsections of the video store. Now, for those of you unlucky enough to have grown up without a mom and pop video store, Mickey, can you explain what it is that I'm talking about? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Before there was streaming, before there was even Blockbuster, there were these little independent video stores. And to appease the appetites of movie nerds like myself and Michelangelo, they would work directly with distributors to fill the shelves. These mom-and-pop shops were responsible for taking the horror genre from limited theater runs and late-night drive-ins to every town in America, to every lover of the genre like myself and Michelangelo. What really made these video stores special, though, were the people working in the store, curating personalized sections based on their interests and the interests of their patrons. It's, it was a way of making recommendations based on conversations and getting to know somebody, not algorithms. So here at the return slot, we keep that spirit alive and strong. We hope you enjoy perusing our sections and joining in our conversations, of which you can do by following us on Instagram. This week, we find ourselves in the punky bruiser bloodbath section of the video store. This is following up a green room. Um, uh, now, Mickey, are we film critics? Absolutely not. Are we film historians? Not really. Not really. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this is a little bit of pretension. A little bit. A little. Not, not that be you're pretentious by being an historian, but, but um, uh, we kind of are. Uh, we're like librarians of videos. Anthropologists. Uh, yes. Yeah. Of we're, uh... <laughs> I like it, my next line. We are humble video store clerks. <laughs> and we're just trying to shine a, a light on our love, thoughts, experiences, and feelings of these films and how they've affected our lives. So that said, everything we, we're going to be talking about tonight is going to be coming from a place of love and curiosity, even if maybe it's not always the most uh, um, uh, positive yeah. necessary. You know, it, it's okay to have a critical thought about a film is all, you know, and just trigger warning on that. You know what I mean? I think I'm being see now. Okay. We have a guest here you're, tonight. You're, you're preemptively, and, you're doing some preemptive stuff here right now. Well, well, it's just, you know, my, our guest that I'm going to introduce in just a second. He always, he busts my balls about me putting in the trigger warning. I think it's good for people to know that, you know, we're going to be talking about this film I, that I, you I love it, listener. And yes. it's, you know, I just want you to know it's coming from a place of love, even though it and, might not, you know, yeah, go ahead. And I want, I want our listeners to understand. It's like, 
Michelangelo's not saying that because he's saying that because how triggered he gets when people don't like what he likes. <laughs> this is not because he's looking out for you. It's because he's like, look, I mean, it's, he's, he's doing this for himself. Of course, of course. So uh, speaking of doing things for myself, we have a visitor, a special guest on this episode. He's the one responsible for this horror, this whole uh, punky bruiser bloodbath section. And in particular, the film we will be talking about tonight, visiting the video store and joining us in the basement all the way from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. My best friend, my soulmate and constant listener, Chris. Oh, Chris, hey. welcome to the basement. Who's welcome. Out there, yeah. <laughs> i love it you're popping the mic a little bit bro oh okay, sorry bro. buddy okay sorry about it. i love it it's, it's hard i know i know i came in hot came in hot yeah, yeah. Came in hot. <laughs> yeah. um uh chris uh yeah what gifts have you brought us well from uh the <laughs> land of plenty uh wisconsin uh the breadbasket of the united states oh uh, <laughs> don't know why i'm selling this so hard and really, considering how where things are at, do we really want to sell like you know United States? Like yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Wisconsin though is a great shining beautiful. example of America. I love Wisconsin. It's beautiful, beautiful country. From the rolling fields, I brought you some spotted cow from beautiful New Glarus, yes. and of course yes. all the all the cheese curds you can possibly eat. Uh, is it squeaky? Extra squeaky? Oh. It's extra squeaky, and that's because it wasn't refrigerated the whole time I brought it. So, <laughs> and he drove. Yeah. Oh yeah, right, it was right. A long yeah. drive. Um, Chris. Yes. That is a wonderful shirt you're wearing. Thank you. <laughs> what is can describe to the listener perhaps uh, what what you might be wearing right now? Well. <clears throat> Hopefully, uh, listener, you are a big fan of the Misfits as I am. And this, of course, would be from the uh, quintessential song slash EP that the Misfits did in the early 80s. That, of course, would be Bullet, uh, Glenn Danzig's uh, one part uh, song about uh, the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy and one part him fantasizing about getting a blowjob and handjob from Jacqueline Kennedy. Best not, to pay, best not to pay attention to the lyrics of the song i would say i i i love i love glenn danzig hey i ain't no goddamn son of a bitch <laughs> he's a lovable little tyke um and 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 mickey uh uh you know we're gonna get to the film here in a minute but mickey you're you have yep. also have a shirt that ties in yes. tonight repping repping garf for those who don't know what Garf is, it's the George A. Romero Foundation. I'm wearing one of their shirts. It's uh, for the listener. It's his glasses with a little bit of blood splatter on the bottom corner. It just says George A. Romero Foundation. It's a great foundation. It's it's dedicated to preserving his work and also helping young filmmakers who want to uh, start their independent career. So check out Garf, an amazing organization. Uh, so glad they're here in Pittsburgh. So glad to be able to kind of give them a little shout out tonight. Perhaps we'll put a link on our Instagram page where you could uh, buy a shirt and donate to the cause. I love that. Um, now, Chris, uh, at some point, you, oh, listener, hold on, wait, you can't wait, 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 wait. Michelangelo, do you want to tell us anything about the shirt you're wearing? Yeah, yeah. What are you wearing? Describe it all. <laughs> Uncharacteristic, <laughs> uncharacteristically of myself, I'm wearing a black T-shirt scoop neck Whoa. as opposed to gray. <laughs> 
man. <laughs> outside your comfort zone. I'm outside of my cut, and Listen, I have a mustache. Oh, Chris, Chris, so. I'm just glad. I'm just glad he's glad he's clothed. Last <laughs> last time we were recording, <laughs> I came pop down in the basement, and he's butt naked. And I'm like, what the hell? I pulled up Peter Stormare on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, Chris, I gotta, I gotta hear what your voice sounds like through the white mask that you brought. Oh, okay. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Very exciting for the listener. <laughs> oh, very that, exciting. Nothing beats some uh, dead time, dead space. There you go. That's. I think you sound better, actually. You look better, this too. Is, this is true. This is my true face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, thank thank you for humoring me, uh, Chris. Um, of course. We're That's pretty much our relationship. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we get to the film that we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, other than the spotted cow, what are we drinking tonight, guys? Mickey, why don't you? Or you know what? Why don't we have our guests go first? Yeah, let let let, let Chris go ahead. Uh, well, I just so happened to be drinking a little cocktail I made up uh, about a handful of months ago. I started getting into making clarified milk punches. Uh, that's a cocktail what? that then that? gets. It's a. It's pretty much you make a cocktail with like normally it's like some citrus and some sugar and some alcohol and then you pour milk into it and you let it sit and it curdles, and then you strain it out. And it gets to be a clear cocktail that then uh, has a bit of a creamy kind of flavor profile to Ooh. it. But uh, uh, in honor of uh, Peter Stromer and the line that he says a few times in this film, I'm going to call this salaming around. <laughs> the spooky cocktail for this evening oh, i love it it's a, great, it's, it's a great cocktail for mickey and i uh we, yeah. we're we're partial to the lactose ipa so this yeah. sounds like right up our alley right up our alley i actually i just want to drink the stuff that you strain yeah so that, the clump of that. i'll just put my face molly down in will it. appreciate it <laughs> yeah yes well that sounds delicious um uh mickey what are you having so I it's okay. So I brought in a bottle of wine, and I was just gonna just slug down this whole bottle. But now we got spotted cow. I'm drinking spotted cow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm doing too. I'm, I I I got some uh, 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 punk rock themed looking IPA, and I'm just gonna keep that in the fridge and drink all this spotted cow because it's I fucking love it. So it's it's refreshing. And you can you like when when I when I, I I talked about this in the podcast before, but Chris uh, very generously bought uh, me a ticket and paid for me to fly out to Wisconsin to see uh, Goblin mm -hmm. uh, uh, perform live with Suspiria with the uh, while seeing the film uh, Suspiria. And when I was on my way home, their airport is fantastic. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful, and you can literally buy like right outside of the gate of uh, th that I was leaving from. There was a gift shop and I could buy all the cheese and spotted cow. My heart desire. I could literally buy like two cases of beer and bring them on the plane with me. The thing about spotted cow is it's, it's like, like for instance, in Pittsburgh, you have iron city, right? That's kind of like your, mm -hmm. your yeah. beer. Iron city would love to be sold anywhere outside of Pittsburgh. It just isn't. But I feel like spotted cow doesn't care about being served outside of Wisconsin. It's like this. We're happy uh being the wisconsin beer we don't need anything more that's very true i don't think especially like uh anyone from illinois 
they don't really want anyone from Illinois partaking. <laughs> it's like well, this is our thing. We like to keep it here. We're not. We don't need to share with others. We're okay. We're fine. Now, nice as hell, Wisconsin people are. Yeah, they the, would share. Hey, they would share. You're welcome. You're welcome yeah. to come visit us for it. But yeah, we don't well, want to deal with the. You know. Yeah, we're just, you know, It's like do we want to get in. We don't get all of that. You know. It's like it you makes know, it Wisconsin more nice. Yeah. Wisconsin right. nice. Wisconsin um, nice. So tonight. We are talking about George Romero's 2000 direct-to-video in the U.S., Return to Mm -hmm. Horror, Bruiser. After almost a decade-long hiatus and his self-imposed exile to Canada due to the Bush administration, Romero brings the fable of Henry Creedlow to the silver screen. What happens when you walk through your life never standing up for yourself or your beliefs? I guess you lose part of yourself. You lose your identity. And that means you can now murder all those scumbags who wronged you. Chris. Yeah. Why are we talking about Bruiser tonight? And what is (laughs) your relationship to this film? But before that question... Why do I feel like I'm being attorney? What is this? Yeah. But before. But before, before, before why bruiser in your history with uh-huh. the film, I do yeah. want to get some contextualization uh, as to your relationship with Romero. Now, and Mickey and I have previously talked about our relationship to Romero on our creep show sure. episode. So we're we're not gonna rehash that. But what's your relationship to Romero? And then lead, please lead that into a bru- why bruiser and your your history relationship with bruiser, please. Uh, well, I mean, obviously a fan, uh, you know, I think first exposure was watching Dawn of the Dead on like a sleepover when I was in like middle school. Oh, that's one. And like, that's great. you know, that like whenever you're like 10 and you see something that just like kind of fills you with dread, but you're captivated by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was totally my experience with it. It stuck with me for a long time. Uh, Funny enough, like I had seen, you know, Dawn of the Dead and like several other like Romero's before I finally saw Night of the Living Dead. It came well after the fact, Got it. which is, I feel like, kind of a, uh, an irregular thing. Um, but it also kind of sucked because I think it kind of like kind of took a bit of the, the, the punch out of Night of the Living Dead when I finally saw it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something I kind of regret a little bit. But uh, always love Romero. Um, actually, here's something. I just found this out like a couple of weeks ago. Did you know that like Romero? So post like, you know, he made Night of the Living Dead. He made uh, a few other films and then like you know, his career bottomed out. And then he made a whole bunch of uh, syndicated hour long like sports documentaries called The Winners. Did you guys know about this? I, I, I knew that he was working in that's through television, right? Yeah, it was syndicated, like, so, like, yeah, like, yeah, well, like, yeah, it's like regional TV networks would, like, buy it and, like, air it, you know, mm-hmm. Saturday afternoons yeah. and, like, you know, 79 <laughs> and that type of uh. thing. So, like, I guess that these are out there and you can, like, find them and stuff like that. Oh, uh, really? Anyway. That's interesting. Does it, do, have you seen any of them? Do they have a, a Romero stamp <laughs> on them or are they just, just? No, I just read a big thing about this and I'm actually going to start to, like, find it. Evidently you can find, there's one that he did with OJ Simpson. And one he did with, um, oh man, I'm drawing a blank. Classic Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, Franco oh, Harris. Franco, yeah, just passed away. Rest, rest in peace, Franco. R.I.P. But uh, anyway, so 
Uh, yeah, I've always loved Romero. Funny, there's this funny Franco Harris thing, right? So, like, if you come, if you fly into the Pittsburgh International Airport, you get George Washington, right? Because he crossed over into Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, he fought in, in Pennsylvania. So you get George Washington, and then right next to him, you get Franco Harris. Nice. And I'm always like, <laughs> these international people that are flying into America for the first time are like, ah, George Washington, and. Franco Harris. I'm like, that is just, I don't know. I always think it's so funny that Franco Harris, you know, stands next to George Washington when you come to that's about, that's how Pittsburghers think. No, no, no. I think, I think that's good. So anyway, yeah, continue. I'm sorry. I wanted to add to interject there with my Franco no, that's Harris. Great. Do they have, uh, like does Franco Harris have a, a sandwich with the French fries in it in one hand to like really make it? That like would, Pittsburgh? that would be great, but no, unfortunately <laughs> doesn't. It's actually him that in uniform really catching the immaculate reception. Oh, okay, well that's badass. Yeah, and then if you see the 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 Wix commercial that he did a couple of years back um, for the Immaculate Reception, uh, like bridal host business he was starting, um, my wife is in the commercial with him. Oh, yeah, Ooh. she she had a whole day with Franco, and I'm like I'm like Molly, you're Pittsburgh royalty. Mm-hmm. So what does she say? She says he's a good guy. Yeah, hey, he was a really nice guy, really great guy. Nice, remembers everybody too. That's awesome. So, that's like anyway. that's that's a skill I envy. Like people who I mean they they say they say uh, Bill Clinton uh, one of his best attributes is he just remembers everybody's name. And mm-hmm. like that gets you so far in life just remembering sure. some I I I barely know Mickey's name. If it wasn't yeah. so close to my own name, I wouldn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've it's taken you years to call me by my name. Yeah, you used I usually to just I just call, I used to call you Honduras. Hey, um, Honduran boy, uh, Hondur- Honduran Honduras, boy. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, yeah. Hey, H A C J R. I'm a I'm uh, a uh, hey guy, hey pal. Yeah, hey buddy. That's the easiest way to go. I just I give people a different name, and then I I do that so long that they either have to change their name or just accept <laughs> that that's what I'm going to call them forever. That, um, that's that's fair. Yeah, so it could happen, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so, sorry, Jerry. Continue on with your conversation. Not a problem, Billy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, two Chris, men I Chris, love. Chris, you you fit each right other in here. Talking. You fit in yeah. this basement. It feels like you've been here for years. I was gonna say, like, it was a brave choice for you guys not to put down a floor and to just use the dirt <laughs> for this basement. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you need to dig a hole that's down a there. Hole. That's no, there is a floor. This is just dirt we've brought in on our shoes and stuff. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> we just don't clean. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. It smells of stale popcorn, beer, and socks. Lovely. Yes. <laughs> that haze in the air is not from the Canadian wildfires. That's just no. from Michelangelo. That's from me. <laughs> I he always did remind me of uh uh the character from Peanuts with the stink lines. <laughs> really? Oh, now wow. I'm insulted. No, wow. no, no, no. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. You smell like olive oil and I don't know, hair products. Pasta sauce. <laughs> olive oil. Wow, I'm getting real racist tonight. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay to be racist against Italians. <laughs> <laughs> you could do full caricatures of them in films and people will ask yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. marinara what? face as they call it really um, yeah really, that's, that's is the that term. really a thing 
I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> John Gabris, uh, a famous uh, comedian and podcaster, uh, he says it, so it's got to be true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's an expert on the matter. Um, so uh, back back to okay, so uh, your your history with Romero. Um, so why are we talking about Bruiser tonight, and what is your history and relationship to the film? Um, so we're watching Bruiser in part because, uh, I pitched you the idea of, uh, doing a three-parter on punk and horror. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And which actually, Ooh, can I throw in a real quick, uh, uh, item for your previous episode green room? Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you guys called that or not. I did listen to the episode, but, uh, so they of course covered the, uh, classic dead Kennedy song, uh, Nazi punks fuck off. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Do you guys know the history of that song at all? No, no, I don't know. <clears throat> so, kind of a cool thing. Dead Kennedys, badass punk band uh, out of San Francisco, um, pretty much did that song because obviously, big issue in the seventies and eighties was uh, mm -hmm. Nazi subculture overtaking part of punk and heavy metal and that type right. of thing. So, it's definitely written in part of that. Uh, it's been covered a couple times once by, uh, uh, well, like once in a couple times in bigger areas, I should say, I'm sure other bands cover it, you know, randomly, but once by, uh, Napalm Death, uh, a grindcore band out of the UK, which okay. are like vegans, vegetarians, they're like incredibly like anti-fascist types. Yeah. And then they actually sold like, uh, singles and t-shirts and did the proceeds to, uh, 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 pretty much uh, anti-fascist causes, let's say. And then uh, covered a second time by a, a German black metal band called Heims as part of a uh, black metal tribute to pretty much open causes. Anyway, just kind of a cool thing about how like this song that has like lived on in other iterations to like kind of be pro uh, pro positive causes, let's say. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, just want to throw that out there. Well, it's, it's cool too, because like this is what I think was partly missing from from like our watch because like i here's the thing i i like punk music but I, if i were to say that i was a fan of punk that would be like such an uh, uh like a lie because like i i know i'm aware of punk i'm aware of like you know the big bands the big songs but i never really got into like the culture of punk music and i feel like green room speaks to a culture of punk music or punk rock fans that i just don't even know because i'm just not even a part of that so I'm i'm glad that you said that and I think you're I think that will bring a lot to like what we're going to talk about, because I, I yeah. feel that when you're a real fan of something and they do a movie that's paying honor or homage to it in certain ways, it's like you just don't get it if you're not in that scene. So anyway, yeah, so that's that's really cool. No, I just wanted to like, yeah, shout that out. Also, I just fucking love that song. So, yeah, <laughs> I, anyway. I like any song that that says, you know, fuck you Nazis. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm down with any song that does that. So. Mm -hmm. Anytime you see a Nazi, punch him in the face. Yeah, punch him in the face. Um. Anyway, so we're talking about Bruiser. Bruiser is, I think. Uh. So my relationship with Bruiser was definitely like this came out in like 2000. So I would have been like a sophomore, junior in high school. Back then, uh, my friends and I, we would like go to the video store. We would rent movies. We would watch, especially like a lot of times, stuff like Bruiser, you know, horror films, stuff like that. And we would uh, smoke very cheap, shitty weed, uh, shoot Everclear and chase with Mountain Dew Code Red. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Fucking awful. 
Oh man, are we doing that later tonight? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. We are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we would watch films like this. And despite the fact that it's been now, you know, twenty some odd years since I've seen this, it still has always stood out to me as being a film that I thought was like. Uh, we can get more into this later, but like no. this isn't some sort of like great movie, but this is like a perfect movie in its own way to me. Okay. It's incredibly what, what, enjoyable for what it is. <laughs> and what could you go into that a little more? Like, um, no, <laughs> nope, done there. This is all my contract I agreed to. <laughs> are, are you wanting to like save that for the end or, or, uh, or, no, or... I mean, we can dive into it. I mean, like, well, I think you have to break it down a little bit more, but like, it's one of those films that's like, it's super fun. Like, no one's heard of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, barely anyone has paid any attention to it. Like, I still remember being, you know, like a, uh, like 17 year old or whatever and like seen in the video store and having no idea what the hell it is, but it's being like George Romero. I'm like, all right, well, shit, let's get this, you know, that type yeah. of thing. <laughs> and then being like blown away by it. So, uh, there's that ties into the punk scene because of the awesome last uh like little concert scene uh, i would make the argument that that's almost like its own separate film the last 25 minutes yeah, of the yeah. party yeah <laughs> very and that, different and, and then the button it's like that the the last <laughs> act and then the button at the end and we'll get into that later but they 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 feel disjointed a little bit from the completely movie. but again I think completely adds more into my enjoyment of it, though. The there, fact that there, it doesn't make any sense at all. The shift. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I I watched it. I finished it, and I was I, I had con, I had conflicting feelings of this mm-hmm. film. Oh and yeah. Since sitting with it for about a day and a half, I'm like, do I need to watch this like 20 more times? Because I I think that maybe there's like maybe I just didn't get it fully the whole time and and so i want to talk a little bit about that too because there is some like some surrealist stuff happening and you're like wait a second is it you know is this all just a we'll get into that i'll hold it so are we cutting you off chris no i'm well i'm enjoying the conversation i also don't remember what i was saying (laughs) okay okay so okay good transition then mickey mickey you kind of you kind of described some of it already but like so you've never seen this film before correct Yes, no, I've never seen this film before, no. So so please describe your experience. Uh uh um you kind of already did, but like anything yeah. to add to what you your experience watching this. Expectations uh, I, yeah. and then the reality it, of, of there were so many things on there it, on so many levels, it, it hits me like on like a just personally the things that I like, right? It's like it's got strong, you know, performances. It's pretty, it's a very pretty looking film. Uh Romero's shot it really well. Uh, it has a creepy mask, which anybody who knows my history with eyes without a face and stuff like that, those yep. things really work Hell on yeah. me. And uh, so, um, so yeah, it works on so many levels uh, of enjoyment for me personally. Um, but, w- but like I said, just now when it ended, I was like, oh, wait, I don't think I fully understand what I just watched. And <laughs> now I feel like I got to watch this again and again. So, so please listen or understand that a lot of what you're going to hear from me or get from me is from my first time watch. I feel like this is a film that that requires multiple uh, sittings and some real like some thinking about it, right? Because like on there's the surface level satire um, 
about, you know, consumerism, greed, and, you know, trying to, you know, climb the rungs to the top, you know, and stuff like that. There's that on the surface level, but I think there maybe is, is a lot more going on underneath. I mean, Romero's a brilliant guy. So, yeah. So I don't know, I guess it, I really didn't answer your question on what my first take was more than just like, I'm still a little confused. I really yeah. enjoy a lot of this movie. I'm a little confused still. Yeah, that's a, and that's an okay place to be, obviously. Oh, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. And I, and I also, I, I, I am not a huge fan of the Misfits, but I had a period in time in my life when I was a huge Glenn Danzig fan. Yeah. So I understand the history of Danzig and the Misfits and uh, the other guy, the... Um, Jerry only? only. Yeah, Jerry only. So I, I've got a familiarity with that. And Von Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jerry only's brother. Yeah. yeah. So, so I understand a little bit of that feud there. And, and like, again, I, I was such a, I used to fantasize that Glenn Danzig would play Wolverine in a movie that I directed. <laughs> that is fucking cool. I, do you know about that? About how he, like, he wanted he was, to be Wolverine? Yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I grew up my whole life hoping no, for please. that day. And then as an adult, I've been like, well, maybe I can direct the film where he plays Wolverine finally. <laughs> is that, is that Chris? Is that, is that, what's the, what's the, that's just like he wanted to play Wolverine or is there a more involved story? Cause I know he's dabbled in filmmaking himself and they're very progressive films like Romero. Uh, his so, films are very progressive. My, <laughs> <laughs> so my knowledge on it, which like goes into something that I think I really like too about the misfits and about Danzig is that like, they're totally untrustworthy narrators. Like they say things <laughs> and then like a year later they say something else that counteracts it. And so like, yeah, yeah. if you read like stories about the misfits, like you can read about like five different versions of the same events and not yes. know what really happened. It's very <laughs> confusing. Similar to the return slot. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, though, Glenn had discussions uh, in the run up to them making the first, you know, X Men that X -Men, came out yeah. in what was that, two thousand, and mm -hmm. that he claimed that he would make the Wolverine that was less gay than the previous version. Oh god! <laughs> oh god! Which I've never thought that thinking about Wolverine. <laughs> Wow. Of all I mean, the characters. I, I think he I think what he's saying is Hugh Jackman is a very handsome leading man and his Wolverine while beloved uh uh I think is a uh, uh, um uh, uh, a Hollywood version of what Wolverine is. Uh I think uh, um there is a version out there that maybe Wolverine is this short hairy unattractive guy as opposed to this tall well-spoken handsome charming guy yeah that is a right. big part of it yeah right and i think yeah. that's in his regressed new jersey right. mind <laughs> that's what he was well, saying yeah yeah I, I think i think that what we're seeing is is i mean to use to use wisconsin a little bit i think that that hugh jackman's wolverine is like a wisconsin wolverine and glenn danzig is trying to go with more of a jersey wolverine <laughs> If that makes sense. <laughs> Glenn Danzig. Yeah. I, yeah. Wisconsin sorry, is, sorry Wisconsin. Jersey listeners. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't who am I offending there? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Jersey everybody. People. Maybe Wisconsin people too. They're like, we don't yeah. want to be Hugh Jackman. Yeah. I don't I don't Jersey. think I don't think Hugh Jackman is Wisconsin at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's, there's, I, some I, North, I no, there's some 
northern Wisconsin people that would probably have a lot of umbrage with that comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, 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 yep. No, but I, but I do just remember as a kid growing up because my older brother also was a big Glenn Danzig fan because he was getting into working out, and Glenn Danzig, you know, is just like just fit, like you know, tough guy. And uh, so that's kind of was my introdu- or introduction to to the Misfits and Danzig and, and that world. So, yes. Did you did you listen to his solo stuff or did you listen to Sam Hain, the band? I never listened to Sam Hain. I never listened to Sam Hain. I never really did either. I've listened to a okay. ton of Misfits, ton of his solo stuff. I've never really hardly listened to a Sam Hain. <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. I know they were the, he did three albums, right? Like, like he did like three albums of Sam Hain and then he mm-hmm. did Danzig. And and really honestly, like I'm sure because I grew up in a small town in East Texas, it was the song Mother, man. You hear Mother for the first <laughs> time yeah. and you're like, I'm gonna buy every album this guy does because he's such a badass. It's mm-hmm. like I just kind of want to like, yeah, it made me feel tough listening to that song. He's like the less for me, uh um um he's the less progressive Her- Henry Rollins. You know what I mean? Well, I, and they're buddies. Or yeah, they they're buddies, yeah. Yeah. Or they yeah, they used to be. He used to complain. A lot to Rawlings and the, like just uh, a quick side note. Um, uh, I recently just got into the history and the music of the Misfits and it had nothing to do with the fact that we were talking about Bruiser. That was a coincidence when we were finally re- leading up to watching it. It was like, oh, the Misfits are in this. And I guess there's a lot of connections. And, and, and I was talking on the phone with Chris and he was telling me all this. And I was like, oh, shit, man, you like you got to be on the episode like kismet it's like one of those things that like i just want to talk to you about this kind of stuff <laughs> when i'm like rattling off to you like a child uh for like maybe put this on a podcast yeah drove all the way from wisconsin to come here just mm-hmm. to discuss this just to discuss that's, it um that's that's, that's commitment just, that's good friend that's a good friend michelangelo i'm, I'm you... leaving i'm leaving right after this yeah <laughs> no uh-huh. i don't know man you're drinking you're drinking uh-huh. that pretty strong stuff yeah, we're there doing, uh, yeah. everclear and we're uh, doing everclear which, shots which i have Duke. on hand that's what i use for hand sanitizer is yeah. everclear um, <laughs> well it's wild that's... to think about i'm actually less concerned about the everclear and more about the mountain dew for my health <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> I, I think there was a period of life in which that happened and i've not uh, consumed either of those products i think ever again <laughs> <laughs> you like you 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 hit your you you tapped it out your body's like you can't you can't do anymore you're, you're gonna die um um so real quick my my experience um watching this so this is also my first watch um it's a movie that i've always been aware of because the uh, uh, the the box art uh, reached out to me in my mind and was always with me as like mm-hmm. a like it always looked like this serious French film and it is a French slash Canadian production mm-hmm. uh, but I thought it was like shot in France it wasn't it was shot in Toronto um, but um, I just never got around to it. And so it always loomed large in my mind as like a possibly great Romero film that I've never seen. Um, uh, and then having this excuse to watch it, I watched it and, um, you know, Romero for me is, uh, a person working within the, the genre with principle. Um, so even when a film of his doesn't work, there's still principle there. There's something he was trying to say, things that are uh, almost always relevant today. Um, yeah. 
very he's much not so. just yeah he's not just like gonna blow up some zombies and show some tits mm-hmm. um his his films even when they're a miss and i'm not saying this is a miss necessarily but even when they're a miss uh they're films worthy of examination and discussion mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so watching this it was it was very excited at the start um I I think it's a great idea. I think there are elements that are uh, like absolutely fantastic. I think overall it dragged a little bit for me in the second act. And then it's a little just disjointed at the end. I feel like, like the reason why this isn't more of a cult thing is, is because like, it's like, it's it gets a little murky and I want to, I want to get into that later as to like, I don't need to know why, but, but, but the, is it, but but it, but is it murky? Because I mean, he's he's a craftsman. Is it murky? Okay, go ahead. Go no, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Well, I just... it, maybe 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 it maybe it isn't. But but my experience is like, well, what ex- like like what are the rules of this thing? Right. I don't yeah, need yeah, to, no. I don't mm-hmm. I don't need to know why. Right. Yeah. You wake up in this in this yeah. You wake up and and all of a sudden like you you you've. Your 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 face is now this thing, and that's embodying this this sort of like um uh uh go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just gonna say like does it like so I watched this twice uh in the past like four days, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and written like five pages of notes on it. Uh, but like, doesn't it seem like it's like a white male rage like fairy tale? I yeah okay yes 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 well well, but but, but also but but also because he's upper middle class it's not identifiable for somebody necessarily like me I mean I sure Michelangelo will tell you that I'm the whitest guy on earth but I'm I'm really not um it's like yeah we talked about this constantly yes constantly yeah so but 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 I did 100% agree with you Chris that's that's where I see it but Mm -hmm. now I feel like I have to re-examine it to understand that maybe there are rules that are very specific in there that I'm not following because I haven't maybe this is one of those movies that are like, you know, it's meant to be viewed on multiple sessions so that you can start to even become more attuned to its language. Or it plays really loose with like a lot of things. And yeah. I don't know what's purposeful and what's not within that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, is that due to budget constraints, mm-hmm. timing issues, studio maybe, interference? Exactly. Maybe not being interested that much into it whenever you really are doing it you know what i mean right yeah i I think you 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 can't talk about this without a brief discussion of uh the dark half which i know Mm -hmm. chris Mm -hmm. you've definitely seen uh mickey have you seen yes i've seen the dark half yes i feel like mickey mickey's always been my my uh source of like stephen king films and like pumping me up (laughs) for them and like like mickey is the greatest ambassador of like of like decent Stephen King films like you know <laughs> need, needful things not yeah. not great but like great God, story I, obviously I, I, as a kid I loved it I thought it was interesting and fascinating and that's it, it, it's a good concept conceptually it's, it's great, really great cool. concept yeah um, and for a for a young person watching these films this is it's all about where you come to something in your life that mm-hmm. those those Stephen King like middle of the road films that are arguably not that good the concepts they were presenting to a young person's mind were mind blowing. Oh, they didn't have definitely. to be that good. Yeah. And I think that there's some of that in this. There's like concepts that they're dabbling in that I'm like, I really like this. I like where they're going. I like what this is doing and saying. 
Well, this this look, I want to talk about Dark Half, but just just real real quick. Um, um, this kind of reminded me of a uh a, like a creep show section or a Tales from the Dark Side, the television series he did, um, episode. Um, uh, you know, EC Comics had these uh very broad melodramatic exploitative stories, and at the center, it's a morality tale. Right. And uh, Twilight Zone, in my opinion, like elevated that concept. And what I like about Romero is that, you know, on the surface, he has he, he can have this very EC comic vibe to it. But underneath, there's always something more sophisticated at play. Um, so. To to put context into this, right, because I, I'm watching it, obviously, and. It's kind of relevant today, especially when you consider Michael Graves, who's a proud boy. And I want to get into that later, Chris. You're going to know a lot about this. Uh, we're going to get oh, to that man. soon. Uh, yeah. But just leading up to to his decade, almost decade long hiatus, he does The Dark Half, which is a studio film. Um, and it doesn't do well. And then he doesn't he kind of ends up in development hell for a long time after this until Bruiser. Um, Chris, do you know much, like, what are your thoughts on the dark half? And like, uh, do you know much about that time he spent in between productions? No, not, not a lot in, in regards to Romero's time between. I know that pretty much from my personal experience, I read the dark half and then immediately watched the movie. And it's one of those classic things of like, you know, my reading of the book kind of yeah. spoiled the film for me. Sure. You know uh, what yeah, I mean? That happens. Yeah. We, I, I experienced this <clears throat> recently with um um uh Cujo. Cujo, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's it's hard to go straight from one to the other, I think. But yeah, I actually in regards to that though, I don't know much about Romero in between those two, like where he was and what he was doing. What do you eat for breakfast? <laughs> what do average day look like? King, King King is King is tough to man. You got to be Frank Darabont does a good job with Stephen King. We've oh, yeah. had this discussion. You know he does a yeah. good job with it, but it's tough because Stephen King's little subplots and and extra little characters development and stories they add such a flavor to the whole thing that once you go in and start cutting that stuff out in a movie, it it is it is it is like being given ground beef and told it's like you know this <laughs> amazing you know Flamignon. steak yeah filet mignon. He's the uh, he's the king. You, gotta, you might say you, you might go say. for the crown. You might say you gotta you gotta up your game. Yeah, you might say we we don't need to go too much into, but basically that those years were spent in development hell for him. A lot of projects that never came to fruition that he worked on, and then he gets Bruiser, another studio mm -hmm. production that also wasn't a like a super great experience for him. You know, so it just sucks. You have this great filmmaker in Romero and he has these bad experiences and it, it and, and not only making these two films, but then all the things that didn't work out in between. And it's like, we, we lose like a decade of his stuff, yeah. you know, um, he was supposed to do the mummy, uh, but, <laughs> uh, he had a deal at MGM and they were being dicks with, uh, universal, uh, and, uh, the, the movie he was supposed to make, the reason why they said that he couldn't do the mummy, they knew that wasn't going to work out. 
but it was like a pissing match between executives, you know, and he's a casualty sure. of that. Um, uh, he was supposed to do the stand. Uh, that also didn't work out. Uh, Mick Garris mm. went on to do his thing mm. with it, which is, you know, uh, uh, I think great, uh, considering it's, 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 uh, uh, the time and place that it was made. Yeah. Made um, for TV, low budget, yeah. but the acting was good. Gary Sinise. Mm-hmm. Gary Sinise. Great. Yeah. Um, so n- 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 then he, you know, he, a self-imposed exile to Canada. He's one of the, one of the few Americans who were like, if Bush becomes president, I'm moving to Canada. And he fucking did it. Yeah. That's what he did. Um, and so this is, comes into play uh, an issue I have with this film is the Toronto production yeah, of it. Too Canadian. It's <laughs> too. I, I think Toronto looks great though. Like I gotta say, like I I love like the the scenery of it. See, that's for me. Uh-huh. Okay, so okay, this is this is like where I run into an issue for me, and this is I think very intentional on his part. It's like it looks. I I, I wasn't in love with the scenery of of the film and i think that's intentional and in that he's making this very um sort of sterile yuppie uh setting right that we f- find uh our uh, uh henry in right at in times. his home where he works at times yeah. right in the generic uh-huh. music that plays at times it's all uh-huh. very intentional um uh so so like i think he succeeds in that aspect but the rest of it for me, like Pittsburgh is always such a like setting in his no, film. I, I'm biased. I'm biased. Yep. And and that's totally fair. Yeah. No, I do get what you're and saying. There's like texture and character to a place like Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And I think like him and like you, you, you see like uh, John Waters did this as well. Cronenberg did this as well. They didn't shoot in a location and pretend it was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they let, that setting be a part of the story mm-hmm. and i feel like the like this is a story that can be told in different places but mm-hmm. the way that this story is told for me is a very americanized a mm-hmm. version of this story and it's shot in toronto so there's like for me uh uh this like friction between those things that kind of like left me f- like like with feelings of uh, um, uns- I was like unsatisfied a little bit by that. Not in the, I, I do want to clarify. It's, it's not that it's like, I like Pittsburgh. I want Pittsburgh. <laughs> I want the same no, thing over and over I, I and over you. and over again. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like there was something missing there that wasn't like, well, let's, let's adapt this to this. That's I, I think this would have played well. Like I could easily see this being like a Swedish foreign film. You know what I mean? Or like if it was set in France and to to uh, uh, encompass these same ideas, but within that culture, I I think the idea succeeds. Well, I was watching and, and I was like trying not to do the thing I do when I watch Romero, which is like, ooh, maybe I know this place or maybe I've been I've driven by here. I've, I've, oh, I, maybe that's, you know, down the street. And I found myself like halfway in being like this. There's no way there's a shot in Pittsburgh or this area. And I was like, there's no way. And I was like, there's just no way. And then they have like the whole strip district conversation when they go down. He's like, hey, they're going to be in the strip. Well, the strip's a very popular place in Pittsburgh. It's a thing. I was like, well, maybe, maybe he did shoot this in Pittsburgh. And I, at one point, Molly walked in. She's like, there's no way that's Pittsburgh. And I was like, oh, I was like, George, George. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's like when you, when you live here and, you know, he's such a, 
he's such a staple here and people just love him so much that it's, it's, you know, it's part of, it's like a bias, you know, for me, it's like, ah, would the, would the movie be better if it were in Pittsburgh? I don't know. Would I, would I like it better? Yeah. Cause it's like, it's in my neighborhood, you know, <laughs> it's like, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel part ownership of it, you know? And, um, and, and, you know, there's that thing. It's like, you know, how Superman needs the sun to like, you know, put, you know, it's like maybe George Romero need needs Pittsburgh. <laughs> Superman needs the sun. George Romero needs Pittsburgh. Needs Pittsburgh you know? it's I like, remember it's, that it's on the, uh, the, uh, the SATs. It was Superman is too sun as <laughs> George Romero is too. Yeah, that was a tricky one. <laughs> it's 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Ratios. Uh-huh. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's any truth to that, you know, but uh but definitely like I, I love it when he plays in, in my backyard because then I feel like I'm kind of getting, you know, I feel a part of it. That's fair. No, I for me it's interesting, right? Because like it it to your point, it is like really kind of a general the background there's nothing like nothing really unique or that interesting in any of the shots at the same time though i found myself especially on rewatch being kind of captivated by it like especially the transitions of like again going back to like prescient things right like henry's house is this giant mcmansion that sits in a giant like depleted suburbia this thing was shot in 2000 what a you know what a product of 2008 and the housing crisis you know what i mean like yeah to agree with you, Chris, I had a moment where I was like, oh, this is this is also dystopian. Mm-hmm. This Absolutely. is this is another form of dystopia. You know, it's like this is not where they were in two, necessarily in 2000. It's like in the same way, like the mall is is now overrun with zombies, you know, in the same way that, you know, the, your little, you know, small town in Western Pennsylvania has zombies running around and attacking a cabin. This is dystopian. It's just a different type of dystopia. Yeah. And, and like also too, like. Just the fact that, like, <laughs> so his house has four uh, garage stalls, mm-hmm. and it's him and his mm-hmm. wife. Right, so it's yeah, like, why, yeah. like this, like, just completely, what is this yep. excess for no need? And then he's poor over it. You know what I mean? This yeah. like the, image, the gaudy, uh, uh, like Greek pillars and marble oh, God, floors. Yeah, marble and floor. God. Well, well, it's it's face value. The exterior has 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 an aesthetic, and then you open it up, and it's like plastic. Mm-hmm. drawn throughout the house and an unfinished place with no sense of like identity know, um identity right so it's yeah. like so the movie works on so many levels like i mean it's it's yeah. on the nose a lot but some of it's under the surface and things that i i really want to do some rewatches do you guys does do you guys have an uh, a wife axe in your home oh yeah yeah you have to of course you got That's, to, right? They give yeah. it to you after you Done. sign the paperwork. <laughs> Get the um, marriage license. They give you the wife axe. Yeah. Well, my dad uh-huh. handed his down to me. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you're lucky on your mom. I guess she just, she made it through. That's No, good. no. He'd already used it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right, so he right, had no more right. use for it. Okay. 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 Good. I'm kidding, I, I mom, dad. This is, this, is, this is the time when my mom does listen and she calls me crying in tears. <laughs> Furious, like, why would you make that joke? She has a uh, spider sense for when she's mentioned yeah. on the podcast like, and listens to that time code. <laughs> uh, side note, I love like in the first, you know, half of the film or third of the film, whenever he has those murder fantasies that like transition out, it just feels so late 90s, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's anyway. it's very uh, American psycho meets the secret oh, life of Walter, absolutely, Mitty, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chris. You and I used to play a lot of tennis. 
<laughs> I don't know if you'd say a lot, but we've definitely played some. Okay. Uh, there was a time period where we played a lot of tennis. We were playing like weekly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. Yeah. Fun. Talking, talking stocks. Uh huh. Talking yeah. options. Did you, did you ever, um, pull a, uh, James on me? <laughs> no, no, never, <laughs> never, not once. So anyway, let's change the subject. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the pettiness like the moment oh, yeah. the moment james is introduced it's like oh this guy's definitely stealing from him and the sleeping with his wife but they decided to go with uh, a little twist there with the uh, the very reserved performance of peter stormare um who uh very subtle um <laughs> I, okay. I, I, like he's a little too much for me i love him he's oh, a little too much disagree. for me no, okay. I, I think I he was doing it. exactly what I he was told that's what i I'd liked his, I, I actually kind of liked him too i like i liked it i mean like peter stormare is just his own category of acting mm-hmm. i feel like and he is playing it to just the highest level of coked up like insanity and i love it I mean, I like, you know, there's that scene that he does blow. And like, I just imagine like, you know, the guy like, you know, coordinator, like, all right, here's your fake blow. And oh, no, you already have it. And he's just doing real lines. <laughs> you know? I'm, good. Like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I just did. I just did a couple lines off the poodle. I'm good. <laughs> I, um, I mean, again, though, he's in another movie and that just makes it for me even all the better. <laughs> Yes, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's 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 on his own track, and uh, uh-huh. this this movie fulfills a very strict requirement I have, and that's uh, um, I want to see Dick in my movies. And this, oh yeah, right? very progressive. Always, always, always progressive. Always ahead of the curve. Uh, um, Romero, uh, Romero, yeah. always showing yeah. showing some Dick. Um, yeah, uh, real quick. I lived in Chicago for a period of time and I worked at a spa and prison break was being shot around that time. And it was shot okay. in Chicago and Peter Stormare came in with his mother who nice. was like 108 years old and they got <laughs> massages and he was like the most exhausted man I've ever seen when he came. <laughs> I was like, so I was so ex- like, obviously I was, I was very excited inside, but I was very professional outside. And what I just noticed is that he cared very much about his mother and that he looked like like greasy and trashy, but that's the character he was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just looked like the most tired man I've se- ever seen yeah. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Coke, Coke, Coke will do that. Coke will do that to you. <laughs> but his like his he he's a very very he's a very tall guy, and his mother was like you know three feet tall, not really three feet, but she was this little little uh, uh what what is he Bulgarian? He's not Russian. He's played a lot of Russians. He's not Russian. He's Eastern European. He's from a Baltic state. I don't know which one, though. But it was just very sweet to see this, like, crazy uh, uh, character actor uh, um, with his mother in real life. Did you, like, have a moment? Did you, like, express your enjoyment of his work, or were you completely profesh? No, I was. Oh, uh, yeah. He's he's in there to get a massage. He wants to relax. I'm not yeah, gonna say gotta, anything. Okay, can yeah. I ask you? Did he did he go did he go bottoms off? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it was uh um, 
It was a bottoms off. I wasn't a masseuse. I was the receptionist. Um, well, right. Which uh, is all the weirder why you were in there at the time. Why yeah, I know. Yeah, with with my clothes off. With my clothes <laughs> off. <laughs> You're just lighting the candles for him. I, yeah, I'm just, aren't you the receptionist? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is this is good. Like he's like, I didn't get a wax. I didn't get a Brazilian wax. Why are you putting hot wax on my body? Uh, courtesy of me. <laughs> So how, so tell us more about, about him. Like, you know, like, what all did you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. <laughs> yep, we're here. Describe it slower. Go on. <laughs> give us the, give us the, spill the tea. Um, so. <laughs> cuckolds, right? Yeah, what about them? Yeah, what about cuckolds, them? Cuckolds, huh? Yeah. Oh, uh, I gotta throw out. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the movie, like you never stuck your dick in another man's sandwich. <laughs> you never <laughs> stuck your dick in another He is a walking, like, quotable. Yeah, yeah he's a oh walking my, meme. I'm like, yeah, why is this guy not a meme more? Yeah. yeah. Well, so speaking speaking of people being in separate movies, um, Tom Atkins yes. and his partner <laughs> are in a, they're in, they're, that's like Night of the Creeps. You know what I mean? Like they're they're in another movie, Dames, and like they're in this uh, like noir film. You know, I, Tom, Tom, I, Atkins knew what he was hired for. He came <laughs> and he's like, "I'm gonna be the most Atkins Atkins you can possibly Atkins." Uh, I did a count. There was seven dames in the film. Seven dames, thrill me. <laughs> made in made in what ninety eight ninety nine. They're throwing out Dame a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. quite mesh mesh in like like again this is this is like so many great ideas so many great concepts great performances but that it just uh it's like when it's like a, a cheese with chinese food it doesn't like the great things but they don't go together you know or, what i mean it, it, it shows that there's not a, a tonal conversation like maybe romero had a call with atkins and he was like yeah it's gonna have kind of a a noir feel and then atkins is like noir i got it mm-hmm. perfect you know, and he's like adding in <laughs> all those lines. I like your your Tom Atkins is very Pacino. <laughs> was that Pacino? It felt Tom. It was Atkins very. To Pac- me. It felt it felt very Pacino to me. Well, let's hear your Atkins then. Tough yeah, guy. let's hear your Atkins. Let's hear Tom yeah, Atkins. you're calling everybody out. Let's hear your Tom Atkins. Thrill me. That's I, that I was haven't worked on. That was right. brilliant. That was brilliant. I got. That's I got a small the tear. That's I got not, a small the people, tear. The, 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 yeah, of course you have a small but, tear, and it's coming out of your dick because that was fucking awesome. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> small tear coming out of my dick. Yeah, that's right. I can see that from yeah. here. Uh, looks like you pissed yourself there, buddy. He's, wear, he's Must wearing be the, the George Romero Foundation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the actress Marie V. Cruz, who plays number nine, she. Boy, oh boy! Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. She's the going to be the cover girl. That's her, right? Yeah. 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 Yes. That's yes. Her, her. She's the uh, half Hispanic, half Asian. Yeah. Her, I, the her... acting, I think, I think in this film is decent, but she is. Bad. She's bad. She's <laughs> yeah. bad. I hate to. I always hate to say this, but like, so, so people think playing like annoying, naive, entitled, yeah. dumb. People think these are easy things to play. And I don't know who cast her, yes. um, um, but she just like you. You need to be very skilled to pull off those things that I just mentioned, those traits. Um, and she unfortunately, during this period in her life, was not skilled. Maybe she could be a wonderful person, you know, a great human, 
but as far as like her um uh work within this story i found it very distracting uh in a very unfavorable way while watching it i don't know if you guys felt similar she's not she was not great yeah no i'd say similar like i just uh she's not good yeah it was unfortunate because Molly had not watched the film with me, but she came into the room and sat down for a minute to like, you know, because while I'm watching these films, I, I'm like, yeah, come come in and watch. I kind of want her to like watch because I like to see what she, her take on things is. But she walked in during oh. the hot tub scene. Oh, the yeah, I know. And she was she was like, oh, it's like, what yeah. movie is he having you watch? And I was like, <laughs> she's like, the acting is so bad. I was like, actually, the acting's not that bad. You're just yeah. in like the worst scene. Poor Tom of, like, acting in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor Tom. So, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. Uh, yeah. Monahan. Yeah. He was in Day of the Dead, and uh, he was in a lot of uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Dead Time Tales. Yeah. Oh, of course. Mm. Right. I recognize. Did him. you? Um. Did I get a yeah, boner I, in that? I was going to say that, Night of that, Dead thing. in that in that scene. I mean, well, I, I got to see some did. of Tom well, Rundle okay. a little bit there, so that was good. <laughs> I love the fact that uh real quick was that her reaction to thinking that there's like yeah. some creepy guy trying to lurk on her was just like Yeah, hey, but like you eventually you won't be able to. You can't afford what? it, but like now you can. <laughs> oh yeah, you're not gonna be able to very soon. But like that's what? that's a case of like ah, f- I wish somebody ah, I, I I hate to be uh uh this negative about somebody on the on the on the podcast, but like in the hands of somebody uh, uh, with a little more uh, talent in regards to uh, performance, um, man, that could have been a really funny uh, uh, a commentary on something. I think the 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 subtext is there; it's yeah. just not followed through. It's like you're it's sort of blindsided by like like a very flat performance. You know, especially in the club scene right. at the end where she gets uh, all she like the lady with the mustache, which we've talked about <laughs> me and my thing for women yeah. with mustaches, uh, fake mustaches. <laughs> but like that scene is like like on its surface level, it's it, because of the performance. It's very like, God, this is so bad. But like what 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 they're saying within the story is very interesting. Right. She's already old news and her mm-hmm. her uh issue hasn't even come out yet. And mm-hmm. I uh yeah, I think that's interesting because like uh <laughs> the dialogue written for women in this film, it's like there's that for her, and then there's like Rose you know Mary. uh Henry's wife oh, whenever no, no, she I'm gets sorry, caught sorry. in the car uh, scene. Yeah, Janine. No, no, Janine. that's Milo's wife. Uh Jenny. Janine. Janine has a line like, you know, when whenever uh, in the car about like, what kind of a man aren't you that you won't don't want to punch him or yeah. me oh, over the fact yeah. that like toxic, oh, yeah, all the women got a toxic domestic violence, which <laughs> leads me into Chris. I would love for you to talk a little bit about. Um, uh, so at this time in the Misfits career, uh, Michael Graves uh, was uh, their lead singer. Um, can you? <laughs> Can you describe a little bit about his the tale of him and the Proud the, Boys? The tale and, of, and and if you the, happen the to not know Michael who Graves. the Proud Boys are, explaining that a little bit. I don't know how much of this you know, Mickey. I'm sure you know who the Proud Boys are, but like, sure. 
I know who the Proud Boys are. I know the Michael Grace period of the Misfits as well. It's not my yes. favorite period. I'll I'll tell you that. So, and, and this is coming from someone who's been a fan for like a week or two. You know what I mean? Uh, stat, static Age is by far <laughs> my favorite thing so far. I fucking love it. I've been listening to it nonstop. I'm not so I'm not some goddamn son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you better think about a baby. But Chris, could you please tell us the tale? So real quick, so like just quick backstory, uh, Misfits out of Lodi, New Jersey, original run 77 to 83, Glenn Danzig's uh, creation that then Jerry only and his uh, brother Doyle kind of became the, the other two mainstays of the band. So pretty much the band breaks up in 83. <clears throat> they then spend uh, real quick. I love this little tale. So of course, Danzig goes on for, to form Sam Hain, and Sam Hain's around for like five, six years. Uh, after a few years, uh, Jerry only and Doyle decide that they're going to do a band because Danzig is going more Satan. They're going to go the opposite direction, and they form a failed project called Christ the Conqueror, <laughs> in which they dress up like Vikings and sing Christian power what? metal. <laughs> what god bless him he's trying they're trying to make a buck you know what i mean you gotta fucking it fails yeah. miserably as you wouldn't be surprised so anyway that at this point there's like you know 37 lawsuits between everybody <laughs> over the misfits primarily because of the fact that metallica and guns and roses like cover their music and so like everyone's into misfit songs Everyone loves, of course, Crimson Ghost and that, you know, branding. So, like, you know, they've probably sold, you know, three times as many T-shirts and swag as they probably have ever sold albums. So many so many bands in the 90s talk about the Misfits being there. It's like one of the inspirations. Yeah, I, I will say before I was even aware of like the music of the Misfits, obviously, I was aware of the fashion. Oh yeah. And, and 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 it's it's very interesting to me that the font they use is from Famous Monsters magazine and the image that mm -hmm. is of the band is of a character in these silent films. So the thing that identifies with the band is 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 uh, um a mix of these two other things that are legally owned by other companies and they've never been sued for <laughs> for basically stealing these things intellectual property is a loose thing with these guys and it's it's not like uh star wars right where uh, uh lucas is is sort of taking a bunch of concepts and making his own thing it's it's like literally this is this thing and this is this thing and this is going to represent with the band and don't get me wrong i it's fucking awesome and it's really cool but it's just it's just very interesting they like have never been sued at least to the public knowledge about those two items. But but, but please uh, continue with your story, Chris. Funny enough, like if you read through like the history of the Misfits to like how much a cornerstone of their history is like to that point, like suing. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, yeah, they sent several years suing each other over rights. Uh, even their their original deal. And I'm going to botch the story a bit, but like pretty much Glenn trademarked a name for a record label that he would like do misfits music through right called like something like blank records or something really generic and mercury a big record label at the time created an imprint that they were going to do their punk music off of in effect and they called it that 
And so Glenn threatened them with a lawsuit and they in effect figured out a deal that would give the misfits 30 hours of studio time. And that was, that was like how like they got really their first foot in the door into CI studios in New York, (laughs) which is where they were like a ton of their recordings come from and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, the cornerstone of this punk band is like, I'm going to see battles. We're so (laughs) punk. We're going to get lawyers. But so anyway, so misfits to each other. (laughs) That was good. Nice, hey, nice jingle. That's good. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they sue each other. It finally settles out in like '95, uh, in which Jerry only then has the permission, or pretty much owns the right to move forward with the Misfits as him leading it. So he forms a new version of the Misfits. It's him. It's his brother Doyle on guitar, Doctor Chud uh, Doyle, on drums, Wolfgang von Frankenstein, sir. Yeah, he calls himself Doyle. Okay, I'm just, you know, I was being a pill. But it's fine. Dr. Chud. You never. Dr. Chud. And then uh, a lead singer, supposedly they like audition like hundreds of people and they end up uh, having this guy, Michael Graves, be their lead singer. Um, You know, I'll say this, man. Like, of course, like the bread and butter of the Misfits is the original run, of course. You know what I mean? There's still good stuff that comes out from the Michael Graves era. Dig Up Her Bones is a solid song. Dust to Dust, Descending Angel. Anyway, uh, they have a successful run for about six years. This is towards the end of it, like when they're in this film. Uh, I I could not find, and I'm sure it's probably not something that's really out there, but pretty much like they ended up in Bruiser through pretty mm-hmm. much a trade yes. of like no, I, they I would saw be. This. I in... saw I saw um, uh, Jerry only talking about this on uh, featurette. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw the okay, same thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. So go ahead. But pretty much, pretty much, it's the Misfits will be in uh, Bruiser. They'll do two original songs for it. They actually do four. They do Descending Angel, Scream, which is off of Famous Monsters, and they do two original songs. Uh, one called Bruiser, and another one called Fiend Without a Face. Uh, and they'll be in the film for George Romero shooting their music video for Scream. Which did you guys have? Yeah, you guys I watched watch that music video? It's good. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. I think it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I dig it. The thing that's actually kind of interesting, though, is like this is totally like a handshake deal that then like they do. But then at the time they're on Roadrunner Records, which Roadrunner Records finds out about it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, like, you can't just free. like release yeah. these two original songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they don't get released until like several years later outside of being in the film for like, you know, 30 seconds. Uh, on like an after album called uh, Cuts from the Crypt. That was pretty much after they had broken up. And again. That, this story is so like running a parallel to the actual story of Bruiser, just like greed, um, mm-hmm. just like everybody having their finger in other people's shit. I, I just, I, yeah, consumerism. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's like a hat on a hat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all this stuff and how much it runs. Like, so, Mick, you had originally asked me distinctly about Michael Graves, so... Wait, 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 wait hold on, wait. Michael Mick? Graves and Dr. <laughs> yeah, these are wait, my yeah. many names. Mike, Mick, Michelangelo, Michael... Okay, I thought you were talking to yeah. me, because everyone calls yeah. me Mick. Oh, because oh, we, call, we okay. call Mickey Mick call... a lot of the time. Okay, I got confused. Can I refer to you as the collective as Eminem? <laughs> and I'll call Michelangelo and okay, hello. and hello. And I'll call... No, do you know what my middle name is? <laughs> No, what? And hello. Oh no, it's not. Is it really? Oh. It's 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 Michelangelo. Yes. 
No, it's not. Yes, it Have is. We we've this? we've had this conversation so many times that oh, you and I had the exact Christ. same name. And then and then so I want to tell <laughs> Chris the same story. initials. <laughs> Chris, when I met Michelangelo, he was he was he was Mike to me. And I was Mickey. Mick yeah. and Mickey. I leave New York City to go, we'll just say fight many wars. And I come back mm-hmm. and I'm talking to Michelangelo and he's like, Yeah, everybody calls me Mickey now. I was like, what? Yeah, and he's, really? he's like, well, my nickname is Mick. <laughs> and I'm like, you assume my identity after I left. Uh-huh. That's what Dude, I'm hearing. <laughs> I was like so upset by the whole thing. It took me a couple months before I talked to him again. I was like, I'm done. I can't talk he to you right now. He's like, sorry, man. I just... <laughs> she was. She was Thank the one brought us back together. I was like, I didn't know my identity got stolen when I... You know. Anyway, yeah. continue. Sorry, Chris. That's amazing. No, you gotta be careful with <laughs> yeah, that guy, man. Will. Like he, you know, he'll try to murder you. Yeah. He is murder you. He'll, he'll sneak skin, in man. with that deep V. Oof. Single mm-hmm. white female, baby. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, I got no identity. All white face. Yeah. But okay, back to Michael Graves. So, uh, real quick, Michael Graves. So he goes on. He does his own solo thing, that of course isn't very successful goes on for several years and then finally about oh two three years ago actually would have been longer than that now because i guess it would have been back in the days of trump uh he does a instagram post in which he announces that he's tired of uh being in denial and that he is a proud white aryan man with the okay symbol next to him pretty much announcing that he is a proud boy slash three percenter and he then Oof. goes on to uh, pretty much be a proud boy. Uh, one of my favorite story is that he was in D.C. for it was January 6th, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. insurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was in D.C. for that. Yeah. And he was supposedly going to be playing a uh, concert for you know his proud boy collective. Uh, and that that's a reason why they weren't really planning an insurrection was because he was going to be planning a concert at this like, you know, Airbnb that they had gotten. And so he actually he testified not for Enrico Taro, right. who was the, the leader. then leader of the Proud Boys, who's now doing prison time. But the like sergeant at arms guy who uh, whose name I don't know. But my favorite like thing that he did for the defense was like. These guys aren't uh, aren't good at planning anything. They couldn't plan a meal at McDonald's, let alone taking over the government. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're a member of this organization, and you say that. <laughs> so uh, I actually found uh, his profile on Spotify, and I listened to some of his modern music. And I gotta tell you, if you want to hear some very shitty acoustic singer songwriter stuff, <laughs> Michael Graves. Okay, <laughs> Michael Graves is yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that also, he's not like his lyrics of his songs, from what I can tell, are not very like out and out about it. But it's all like, like yeah, nod and got wink. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all like, it's all like, you know, like they're gonna try to put me in a boxcar head east, yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Shit. Well, you know what? So here, here, anyway, but, but, that's the run that of Michael. Adds Hitch. another layer. You talk about hats upon hats. It adds another layer to this film. This film kind of, if you're saying it is a, I I agree with you in saying that it's some kind of you know, um, uh, fairy tale about you know, middle to upper middle class white a fable about fable. You know, middle to upper class. Yeah. Fable your yeah. face. So. So yeah, I agree. That's that's I will fascinating. Uh, 
real quick uh i uh because I, I love this story too around the same era as bruiser coming out the uh misfits had a run in wcw wrestling <laughs> did you guys as know did about trump. This? as did trump <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Trump. Well, and, and arguably, I just read an article too that's making a good argument that Trump learned to better portray himself and better carry sway in, let's say, a certain class and people through his work with the WWF. And I was like, that's an yeah, excellent sure. point. No, he'd be, he had been anyway. being like also with you know, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of producers that work on um, The Apprentice that talk about how you know, we were grooming someone we didn't know we were grooming, you know. It's like mm-hmm. from WWF or WWE, whatever it was, to The Apprentice. Yeah. They're they're creating a superstar that speaks to a certain type of person, and they're doing it for ratings, not realizing that they are grooming the next freaking president. Oh yeah, <laughs> creating a monster. Wow. So all of that mm-hmm. tying that back into some of the uh, toxic mm-hmm. masculinity within this film, um, the. I'm curious. I do want to talk about the mm-hmm. rules of the mask, the meaning of the story to you as an individual, and like, right? He he's walked all over. Henry's mm-hmm. walked all over in his life. He's a doormat. Right? I mean, he's kind of an incel um, before incel was yes, really yes, a yes, term. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Which I think is impressive. You know what I mean? Like. Right? Identifying, recognizing, and writing yeah, for right. Yeah. He he always had his he always had his finger on something, even when he didn't mean to. Romero, right? So the th- the thing that is confusing to me, he becomes this violent person, and the first person he attacks is okay. his like cleaning lady, Which, who's again, stealing from him. You live in a construction zone. Why do you have a maid? Um, it's like, well, no, I, I buy it within his story of like, of like, well, you know, Janine says Fair. we need to have a yeah. cleaning lady and, he would try um, to get a symbol. you know, platinum. then we have to have it like, well, he would try to get a platinum credit card just yeah. to impress his wife. Yeah. So makes sense that he would have a maid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eggshell white business cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's bone. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's confusing to me as far as the rules of the mask, right? Is she sh- the the maid shows mm-hmm. up, and she immediately well, starts stealing things, even while talking to him. And <laughs> yeah, so so I was a little confused at first. I'm like, oh, people can't see him now because of the mask. Yeah. And then no, they can see him, but and then they know well, it's and, and that's so, something too that like a just bigger overarching thing that I think was a miss was that like they have people. You know, say things to him like, oh, what happened to your face? That's a total miss, mm-hmm. man. Like, should have had, like, no one, like, say yeah. anything about that. You're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just who are you? I I, I think that's the the uh, thing it should have been is, like, you're completely yeah. unidentifiable. Well. Right? You're, you're, you're not even recognizable. So, like, which is where the story sort of started with her of, like, Oh, she's stealing a bunch of stuff because she doesn't even see well, is, like there's a, there's a person. Is there is in there the house. is there a world in which, and I'm just gonna put this out there, that these are anxieties of society that are heightened by this moment. That's the idea, I think, but it's not. It doesn't make sense within context. I I I found this the most like 
egregious thing Romero's done within a film because unless unless he is he is trying to expose you to the nature of yourself where it's like this is an anxiety that's great hold on that's great mickey and like that would be great (laughs) if that was implied in any way whatsoever mick can you please call me mick um i'm gonna speak to myself mick michelangelo (laughs) mickey me um mickety um Hey, careful. Um, (laughs) Like, for me, my experience was that wasn't a possibility because, like, there there just wasn't anything to indicate that to me. That's that's what I took. Like, Chris, did you like uh, what were you gonna say? And like, what 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 are your thoughts on like what we're saying? I get. I guess I think that the ideal for me, like, I think that doesn't come through in any way. I would like to think that. I mean, if it is intent, if it was intended, that would be great. Is that like, yeah, to your point, I think that the maid's not stealing anything and it's all part of his own perception of everyone walking over him and, oh, the world is so mean to poor little me. So I need to get my revenge for, for, for just sake of, of the exercise. Assume that George Romero is being judged his entire life by a film that they think was racially driven. Sure. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I get where you're going. Um, and it was the defining moment of his life. So everything that he does moving forward, he probably has some uh, um, idea that you can be very based. Uh, yeah, that what you say and what you do in your films can carry a very heavy racial. You know, that was that was my problem with this. There was no yeah. there was no space. But but no, but my, 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 but but we're not allowing ourselves to sit there and say George Romero also knows what we all say about him in 2000. It's like, I, I just think that to say that he just didn't, after all these many years, he still just, you know, didn't. I'm like, I don't know that I would accept that from him. I, I'm not. I, I saw his interview with Guillermo de Toro. And he, he's yeah, I like, watched that as well. The guy is, he is, he is well aware. Yeah. Of people's ideas of him. And I don't know that he's going to write a film and be like, you know what? We need to do a real stereotypical maid who just comes in and steals. <laughs> well, that's 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 my point. That's my point. It's it's very confusing to me because I know I I have a relationship with him. So yeah, what's confusing to me? Yeah, it, the, the thing that's confusing to me is like this is like it just feels like like things got chopped, studio interfered. Uh, we're just trying. We got it. We got to get to the next point of this thing mm-hmm. well you know what i mean and and something yeah. something's lost in this very small moment something's lost and something's being said yeah oh and overall that's what also what i want to talk about he's he's rewarded for his violence mm-hmm. and like yeah I, I, mm-hmm. what i'm curious about is how much of romero is how much he's commenting on that and how much of it is like 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 just the story falling to the wayside of like, I, I do think he's, he, I know Romero, he's not saying like, yeah, you get walked over, you fucking kill yeah, some he, people, you Henry display not some a hero toxic, in Romero's, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. the movie fails yeah. in expressing that he is not a hero for these things you you really have to be a more of a sophisticated viewer to walk away i think with that opinion but you're a sophisticated you're a sophisticated viewer that's my point you have a relationship with these films you're watching it now whoa whoa can you just say that one more time i'm sorry (laughs) what 
What did I say? Just say what you said. Just, just, just say it again. Just you're a more again. sophisticated yeah. viewer. Oh, yeah. man, that was nice. That hey, was nice. Are. All right. Mickey, hey, I, have hey, so much, hey, Mickey, right. I have so much. I, I arrived. Uh, I made um, it. <laughs> yes. M- Mickey, I have so much reverence and respect uh, for your thoughts and opinions. I, I love you. I think you're hilarious. I think you're smart. I think you're witty. Uh, I recently watched uh, uh, a commercial that Mickey was in with that he was worried he was playing a stereotype of a homosexual man, and he was not. He was brilliant. Everything he wanted to convey came through. He was just being insecure. I love you. That's why I do this with you. I I love you and I respect you. Um, wow! Wow! We can end the <laughs> show right now. I have. I have, I have yeah, wow! And then I just, cut, <laughs> cut it with I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> um. No, at, at this point, I just agree with you because that was so nice. I appreciate that. That's what I do. Chris, you're a scumbag. I think you're misogynistic. Uh-huh. I think that white mask you brought barely Real fits on your asshole. face. Coming here from Wisconsin, just being an asshole the whole time. I, you brought um, us beer and cheese and fucking Mountain Dew Red. You're a scumbag. I, uh, I mean, I think there's also something to be said for like, this is kind of a quintessential thing, right, of like, if you ever do like any research into like serial killers, or spree killers, like how often it starts with like, you know, underclass people that cannot protect themselves. And I think that's it's telling that that's how he starts his spree. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. OK, it's, okay. Kind, of, it's kind of the low hanging fruit. It's like, where can you get away with this mm-hmm. first? It's like, yeah, yeah. Right. Undocumented and, and people. I, yeah, I, I got I get that from it. My my problem yeah. is with like some of the subtext that could have been in there that is missing sure. of sure. what I expect from a Romero film. But like, yeah, and, and I'm I'm also not arguing that Romero is a great writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there yeah. is a a history of him needing to be oh, rewritten by yeah. the actors. It's 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 in his editing, right? And and like you like you just said, Dwayne. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, his part was written for a gruff truck driver. And he basically, you know, quote unquote, rewrote his lines to be of a more more sophisticated, elegant, educated man that was reflective of who he was. Um, uh, But. um, So, okay, The rules of the mask. Yeah. Yes. Don't quite make sense to me. No. Does it make sense? Yeah. Does it? You say no. What do you mean by? Are you agreeing? No. Okay. I. I. I some rules of the mask make sense to me entirely. Some yeah. don't. That's what I'm saying. If that makes sense. So. So. Painting a new face makes uh-huh. sense to me. When I like that aspect. Is how no he. Long, yeah. He's constantly yep. like. Like. I'm not talking about that part of it necessarily. But 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 when the mask is on your face and when it's not, that confused me. Like, so by being a piece of shit, he loses the mask. He frees himself from the mask. And like, okay, <laughs> yeah, hold, that's, hold, hold on. That's where it's and I'm, confusing. I'm not talking about the button. We're, that's a whole separate okay, entity. Yeah, we'll, get, okay, we'll get to not, that. Okay, not I want you yet, okay. to like exclude that and just the story leading Got up you. to the party yeah. and then yeah, like him losing the mask. Like, what what uh, like like I get he wakes up he's he's led a life where he allows himself to be walked over right and he does not he has no ideals that he stands for 
outside really? of outside of being a victim being a victim and also like um um uh progression within society and a financial gain right and as a result he wakes up one morning and he has um quote unquote no identity left and that's told through this plain white mask right, right. and then he tries to create identity for himself uh uh ala uh, uh, via the the conversation he had with Rosie uh-huh. uh, about mm-hmm. how people decorate their masks to identify themselves, mm-hmm. and he's constantly decorating it in different ways as he's trying to identify himself. That, right. That uh, that yeah. little scene after the mask gets made at the party, and it's like him and Rosie had that little like conversation, and then suddenly it cuts to like him being in the room alone trying to paint the mask with a little like classical music over the top. I thought it was really yes. hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. yeah. Also, I, well, but, but there was. But I, I, I had a whole. Hold okay. on. Brilliantly, I thought there was a really beautiful shot, uh, foreshadowing where the mask has just been made, and she hands it to him, and he's like looking at himself in the glass of an armoire, and inside the armoire is like some sort of like tribal mask of some kind that is expressing some sort of aggression mm. or something, yeah. and his face. He he's holding the mask up. The blank mask is is on the side where nothing is, and then his face is mirroring this this like mask of like that 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 looks like something primal and aggressive, and it's sort of foreshadowing what's to come for him. Right? I don't know if you guys noticed that scene in the in the store in, in the party scene, mm-hmm. the barbecue, the barbecue. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Very much. Very much. It was some it interesting was, uh, <laughs> development. He was painting a mask. It was cool. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh Yeah. That. That. So. 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 No. That. So. It goes on the, the mask. mask. Mm-hmm. So as as the story progresses, his mask takes more shape through his violent mm-hmm. acts. Um, so as to say that, you know, you get to a place where you've, you've tried to accomplish something in your life, right? You're trying to find out, you're trying to achieve a certain level of status to give you the identity you, you seeked. And now you realize it's unattainable. So you are back at square one, you have no identity. So now you are painting that identity through violence, which I think is a very, very like social media modern um, mm-hmm. tale of what, like when you look at these guys who have perpetrated these like serious acts of violence on whether it's schools or the, you know, I don't know what the Boston bomber, I don't, I'm not really sure actually of his whole story, but, but these feel like the stories that we are actually like witnessing in real life. So you can say that George Romero was tapped into something mm-hmm. or you can say that, you know, it was just, you know, it, but it is, it's very no, he's much tapped. Like he's tapped. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the mask journey is, is a lot of what I think it felt fresh watching it to like the other day. I was like, damn, I was like, I did not realize we were talking about this back then. Well, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Obviously I didn't because I didn't watch this film it, back then. It's interesting to think of it, right? Because again, like it, it's, 
very omnipresent in your face today but then you think about it it's like well this was made after columbine this was made after you know what i mean like so i mean we had taste of it but it wasn't at the volume that we do have today so that's almost all the more reason why i think something like this is like able to tap into something that is uniquely true that is being more shoved in your face now than back then so yeah and it's also wild to think about. It's like, you know, um, there was Taxi Driver. There was, you know, The Comedian. There was, I mean, more recent, The Joker. It's like, you got Bruiser. Yeah, I think it's you like, meant The King of a... Comedy. King of Comedy, sorry. I'm so sorry. The King of Comedy. Which is, I, which, um, uh, I knew uh, what... The Joker is a ripoff of Taxi Driver and the, and the King but, of but, Comedy. But, but yes. is it a ripoff or is it an homage? Mm, I think it's a ripoff. <laughs> That's my personal. We, we, That's we, a we shouldn't debate. get into that right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, De Niro's in both. I mean, whatever. Yeah, that doesn't Scorsese mean anything. Produces well. Scorsese was also a part of both. I mean, it's like that doesn't mean anything. People got to get paid. Hey, <laughs> okay. Carpenter's okay. like, anyway. yeah, man, steal my idea. Just give me fucking money for it. Hey, hey we yeah. Okay. Romero as my well. Point is, Romero should have been fucking paid for Walking Dead. He should have been paid for all these things. Anyways, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Enough. I, what I'm saying is that this is a this is a thing we circle back to often and we feel like it's a rediscovery and it's actually not. It's like, come on, man. You know, it's like this has been, you know, it's been here all I, along. So I don't want to like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's oh, been here yeah. all along. It's not like bruisers, you know, breaking off. Like we haven't progressed. No. That's the like, sad thing is that like Romero's making films that date back to the 60s and like we have not progressed past these issues. They're still relevant today. It, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate on that because like they oh all right evolution this is is not a listener you're never gonna hear chris on the podcast well, again he's disagreeing with me yeah he does I, not i appreciate not you chris me. i like that you have your own opinion but but seriously remember whose podcast is this i uh no i'm so sorry chris well, please go ahead I, I i just like to like i feel like it's it's easy to get into a, a mindset of like you know we have, if, if anything, devolved, right? Like, you know, things just get worse. Issues become more entrenched. They, and, and you know, no matter what you're talking about, right? You know, gun violence, uh, racial relations, sexism, no matter what, right? But at the same time, though, like, I'm very much a believer that, like, evolution and progress doesn't come through soft measure. It comes through very yes. hard times and very ugly right. means. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a bit of an optimist on that and say, like, if anything, isn't it, though, all the better? Like, you know, like, like I previously what we were talking about, like with Proud Boys, right? And that whole thing that we've gone through and, yeah. and are currently going through. How, in my opinion, it's an improvement that people are outing themselves and in the outing of themselves, yeah, you are putting okay. yourself yeah. in the clear and you know where they stand so that then hopefully over time minds and opinions can be changed or if anything you know progress can be made through that come out from the shadows but that makes I hear sense you. yeah so yeah no i do yeah i i actually it's beautiful yeah chris um about i just opened up a boulevard rum barrel age spice cake okay imperial brown ale with natural flavors and uh caramel colors brewer's choice 2022 what's your thoughts and i gotta tell you I don't know yet. I just opened it. I just poured it. But like, 
obviously we need to end the podcast soon because I won't be able to, <laughs> all my words are going to be slurred very soon. I, so I, uh, two things, mm-hmm. but multiple things. Oh. Um, I want to know what you think the meaning of this fable is to you. But I also want to uh, talk about any subjects that we haven't hit yet before we we, we close out the discussion. So I want to make sure everyone said what they want to say at this point. So um, is there anything left unsaid that you guys want to hit upon? I know, Chris, you have so much information. I'm sorry. sorry. I got a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's and that's cool. So I don't want to. I don't want to hear anything. No, no, no. No, 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 Chris, hit us, hit us all with right, some stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like the relationship he has with his wife, like it's clearly mm. horrendous, right? Yet there's the scene yeah. that they have with the whenever he's in the kitchen and the cops are at the front door, uh, in which the answering machine goes off, and it's like there clearly was something there. So, like, how did it get so toxic and so horrible? You know what I yeah. mean? Well, I think I I think that's a result of like. I think he coveted his his lust for her and her free spirit, um, but there wasn't a foundation mm-hmm. of a real connection between souls, identity, right? Like, like that's the thing. She was never able to connect, and 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 well, hold on, hold on. Um, uh, she was never able to <laughs> connect with him, right? In a way, because he never really expressed who he was as a person. He always just in my mind, if I'm doing some work for the film, he always just adjusted it to fit her narrative. Hmm. Well, I, I, I slightly disagree. And I'm just going to say like you're entitled to your own opinion. I quit the podcast. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, no, I no, I'm, I don't disagree at all. Actually. Um, but by what I was going to add to what you were saying was that I feel like when you're two people who are in pursuit of a certain thing, which is greed, money, and status, that their relationship is the product of that. Right. That yeah. mm-hmm. she doesn't stop. She doesn't stop wanting that. And yeah. and and if you've not uh, uh, acquired that at her particular pace and she sees it in some other person, she's doing that. And it's not that she's wrong. You establish that. You want that. You've put that in your partner. You together want that. It's not like she's necessarily bad or that he's a, he he wants the same thing she wants. She is a, is getting it her way, and he can't. So he's starting to get fucking pissed and wanting to get violent. Well, that's so. My read of that is is not that like oh poor poor oh, Henry. No. My actually read of that no. is like. Henry, you're doing what you have to do now because she can actually continue to go on without you and you really have nothing. So there's a whole go ahead. He just he 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 lies about what he values in life and he adjusts it to her tract. So it's 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 almost um uh, she's for a she doesn't deserve to die. Oh, of course not. Uh and B uh, she is a forgivable, a forgivable character within my eyes because he doesn't like ever express his own point of view. He he he's spineless and she, like just like anyone else would in your life. If you're spineless, 
they'll just test the boundaries and they'll continue to test those boundaries to its limit. Like, do do you do you think do you think that Henry bought that house to impress her? Yeah, for her. I once think and I the remodel. The it, he's do trying to make it. Her? it. I don't think it's any surprise that he he literally and he literally says this at some point that like he's trying to make his house look by like his bosses, mm-hmm. right? So it's I, no actually, surprise well, actually, that. Oh, go ahead. I was I was gonna say that I slightly am gonna be a devil's advocate in the sense that. She is a trophy. All of it's a trophy. It's all Henry's fault. Yeah, it's not her no, fault. You're, He's not doing this. You're not for being her. devil's He's advocate. Doing it you're, you're agreeing with me in a in a in a, in a slightly this is, different this is way. All. Henry's doing it for himself. So to to assume that she's creating this monster, the monster was already created. She's just another symptom of the monster. The beautiful girl that he's trying to dote on. Because she's another trophy he has to keep. No, no, I was gonna say Michelangelo. That scene that you're kind of talking about, in which Henry and uh, Rosie are having that like uh, intense conversation, he kind of says something that he's trying to make a house that would look like Milo's, but then he says, "But it's a piece of shit, and who would want it?" So it's almost like right? that's like yeah. that's like a token of that self hatred that he is being as shallow and empty. That type of thing. Well, that's it. Yeah. And he's finally expressing his point of view on it. He's he he was not he's not the guy who would fall in love with Janine and extend himself and have a platinum card and like make his house the way it is and have the dog that he has and all, all of this stuff. He's not that person. And when you allow yourself to live the life of someone that you're not these things catch up to you in a catastrophic way. Sure. Right? Sure. You have to, you know, um, we've all had failed relationships, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you have goals and ideals that change over time. And when you aren't able to express who you are properly to your partner, you kind of end up in a situation where maybe you kind of just like, oh, fuck. Like, well, I'm going along with this because I want to keep this person because if I lose this person, a failure in life. Right? And, and then the, the, before you know it, you've, got, you've wasted years of your life and your living ideals that, have, that are so far beyond your own that you no longer can identify who you are and what your ideals are. Right. And that's the, that's kind of like the great, like the mixed bag that is this film for me is like, it's not so good sometimes, but like, this is the thoughts that I'm getting. Like, this is like the subtext I'm getting from the film. Yeah. Well, it, it, it renders a feeling for me that it's like, I feel nervous for Henry and I feel empathetic to henry well yeah i'll say empathetic to henry that he's backed into a corner to a point Mm -hmm. to a point right but Uh, of course but but is this a corner that you backed yourself into he's to blame he's to blame yeah yeah which is the which is romero that is romero which is why he loses his identity right um surprise he didn't kill the dog it's almost like that was a bridge too far. Yeah, oh I God. thought that, I thought that would I thought that would come at some uh-huh. point. 
I, I it was it was the most like um you know like a Chekhov's mm-hmm. gun thing of anything yeah. in the whole. Well, film. also I the like, saw. I want the buzz saw. Yeah, yeah. I want the buzz saw, and I want I the dog. The dog on get... the buzz saw. This buzzsaw was going to come into play, and it never did. Maybe he did have something, and the studio was like, you can't do that. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know. Dude, the buzzsaw and the dog both deserved it. It's up. It's well, up in, there's in something. Film. There's something deeper yeah. there. I, so my my grandmother had a, a poodle. and I had a poodle. So you know, like, yeah, they're Grace fiercely loyal to usually one individual. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something that could have been said there that could have like continued to. It's like there's there's a subplot that just isn't there where it's like. Henry's actions are wrong. Yeah, but the problem is he gets his face. I don't know. Maybe there's something there that I'm just not seeing that I don't understand, but he just feels, it feels like he's rewarded. He gets his identity back, but like, I guess it's a bullshit identity. So like, is he really rewarded? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or is he better off as the, the faceless? Uh, well, not identifiable person. I think in the little, end of the film you see him as this new like hippie burnout no 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 no. we're not going there yet what do you so uh, uh, before before we wrap it up and before we talk about the final button right that i think does not connect with the rest of the story what what do you believe the fable the morality of the story is to you and I'd like to start with Chris, if that's okay with you, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, for me, especially, I think seeing it, you know, today with who I am now and the experiences and where culture has been over the past, let's twenty years, since twenty three years since this year was, uh, since the film was made. You know, I think that I see this as the narrative of the victim story of you know, kind of the incel white male rage of like, everything will be fine once I get my my justification to make it even. Yeah. And then I can really get to live out my 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 preferred life as a uh, jam band wearing mailman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's I mean, that's how I see it from today, from like my perspective. And what does that contrast with what you took away from it when you saw it well, many years whenever ago? Whenever I saw it, whenever I was like a 16, 17 year old or whatever, it was like, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dude, that was fun. <laughs> there was a lot of Everclear Mountain Dew. So, very much so. But yeah. Mickey? Yeah, no, I. I... Uh, Chris said something really fascinating. We talked about Bud Dwyer. Um, are you are you aware of Bud Dwyer? No. He's this guy who, like, in the I think it was like eighties, late eighties, in Pittsburgh, he like killed himself on TV. He was like a House of Representatives. He was like a football coach. He was like kind of beloved, and he was tired with um, the status quo. And uh, I believe it was an issue with like financial embezzled. Yeah. I believe. But yeah, yes. Uh, but but he killed himself on live TV and it changed the world. 
like TV stations uh. from that point on, like had kill switches. They had ways of like, you know, everything was delayed by like a couple seconds, whatever. I had not even thought about that until Chris brought it up in this particular, you know, moment. And I was like, damn, wow. It's like, I didn't even put two and two together, you know, being from Pittsburgh, George Romero being a prominent Pittsburgh figure. Um, so, so what I was gonna say is, is that the pursuit of like a 1980s capitalist world, wall street, you know, all that, you know, style of movies and films and just what we imbibed on where we're like, you know, the pursuit of happiness is, you know, the amazing condo, you know, high rise, the, you know, fancy suits, the, the, you know, investment banking, you know, greed. It's like, that's where America is, is its best. Ushering in this new world of like grunge and like, fuck the world. Um, burn it to the ground. Anarchist, like, you know, the only way to truly achieve happiness and peace is to divorce yourself from all these belongings and what you're trying to, you know, uh, accomplish from a, you know, purely consumerist level. I think that this film is is commenting on that. And I think that it is like showing a, a an individual who is breaking from that part of himself and having a psychotic uh -huh. break from it. And I think that that um, Romero's when Romero goes dystopian and bleak in a psychological way, he's kind of isolating when he's doing it in a communal way where it's like fighting in a mall or fighting for your small town in Western Pennsylvania or your, or that shack that you're fighting for to save the four people in that house. He really is compelling and it's really like an adventure. But when he goes psychological with it, similar to Martin, it's, it's much harder to follow, to fully understand. And I think that Bruiser does that a lot. But I do think that my initial takeaway was like, this is this is an a this is Romero's reflection on us getting away from a consumerist nature of the Reagan era and ushering in the we we ushered in, we'll say, the Clinton era and then went right back to the Bush era, where he's like, and I I don't know where I'm going with my thoughts right now. I'm just spitting it all out. I'm kind of regurgitating like just my thoughts from the day. But um, but yeah, so. So what does this film mean? It means the pursuit of greed, the pursuit of like, you know, accoutrement, you know, having the thing, the Mercedes, the mansion, all this stuff. It leads to nothingness. It leads to a blankness. And uh, we should all be forewarned if that's what our pursuit is. And with that being said, if anybody wants to sponsor us, please feel free to. Uh, and that was brought to you by BetterHelp. Glad, gladly Have take you any sponsorships. Lonely out there in the world. <laughs> Can would there be a bruiser if there had been a BetterHelp? I don't think so. Just goes to show. And well said, Mickey. Because like also too, it's like again, right? Like that empty greed and capitalism that Henry is clearly doing fine. You know what I mean? Like financially and in his life. And then it's, he doesn't create any human connection with anyone. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. So along those lines, um, like you must stand up for your ideals. You must make a stamp in your life 
with the people you meet at the cost of losing coveted material items and status in society or it will cost you your identity or in possibly in the case of the the story your soul you know so if you, if you look at like dawn of the dead right at the moment when they have everything they're dead and it's not until they've lost it all that they're alive again you need adversity in your life that's what shapes you and makes life worth living you know uh, to quote romero what happens if you have everything in life but you lose your soul you know so i think this is the the morality at the center of the story that he is telling does this film belong in this section and who do you recommend it to chris i would love to start out with you <laughs> what what makes what makes this film specifically <laughs> something I was trying to bring up earlier? What makes this film punk? Other than the fact that the misfits are in it, what ma- what makes this film punk? What what makes it belong in the section? And who do you recommend this to? Well, so I would say yes, beyond the obvious of like you know, so yes, the misfits are in it. Misfits are like the horrorcore punk band, you know, of name. They're in it. There's heavily that bass in it, of course. Beyond that, I think that there is something telling, like, you know, the whole ideology of, like, punk, of, like, you know, DIY, anti-capitalism, really, you know, that kind of thing. It often, the history of these punk bands, as they get older, becomes something very different. Uh, They become very capitalist. They become very selfish. So within a, like, higher perspective, in my opinion, it definitely belongs in the punk section because of that fact uh so yeah that's what i would say i would recommend it to anyone that wants to uh, you know i think think about <laughs> i think it's an interesting film to see from where we have come from since then 23 years since then and how much it speaks to issues that are still in play today i think it has enough swings in it that it hits on enough that is relevant and that I think, like, I think that you could do really, like, fun double features with, like, this and American Psycho and stuff like that about, like, you know, that boil over of rage and the justification to it and how misguided it is. So, yeah, I would recommend it to uh, any George Romero completist, any anthropologist, uh, any cool dude or or ladies or uh genderless people that come into the video store all right mickey um is it punk hell yeah it's anti-establishment so for me being like like i said like a, like an like a, a a observer of the punk genre not a participant necessarily i think that uh this feels like anti-establishment it feels like you know buck the man you know, in all of his like pandering. Um, so yeah, hundred percent belongs. Uh, as far as just like, who would I recommend it to just to not be misrepresented? I would, I would go to cuckolds. Definitely cucks. Cuckolds will <laughs> oh, appreciate yes. it. Oh yeah. They'll be like, oh, it's like yeah. um, no, I, I do think that this requires somebody who has a palette that is okay to watch something that might be a little 
left field or a little outside of like the norm of what you'd expect. It's it's definitely not a it's not a, a movie made for the masses, if that makes sense. So if you're coming in and you're yeah, looking for absolutely. like a film that is like a popular horror, yeah, this is definitely. not pop horror necessarily. This is more like something that, you know, oh, you you like Martin or oh, you like something a little obscure and you like to like, you know, you want to talk about movies the next day and you would kind of like, you know, it's, it's not just like watching for a passive sense. Um, that's who I'd recommend it to. So, uh, yeah, people who like Martin, not the TV series. Martin. But also, <laughs> but also if you like the TV series, Martin, um, oh, I yeah. agree with a lot of what, there. uh, Chris said, um, I, I mostly agree with what you said, Mickey. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to somebody who loves Martin, but I would recommend it to somebody who is a George Romero fan and completionist and who is willing to watch a film that is flawed, but ultimately has like an interesting message. Well, can I ask you what, why, you don't necessarily agree as a with person who, who absolutely Martin. loves Martin. If someone like, if like, if I had watched this under the pretense of like, oh, you love Martin, watch this, I mm. would have watched it and been like, what the fuck are you talking about? Really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, but like with further inspection, I see a connection. Yeah, I appreciate this film more having watched Martin. Okay, yeah. Like yeah. I, I do hear you. That's a problematic film right, to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. uh hint hint, um, we're leading up to our season two finale. Um, and uh when we come back, maybe Martin is one of the movies we talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and hopefully Chris can make it back for that. We'll 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 see what our our our, our the the millions of people have to say about Chris. Um, yeah, the you sexy gotta, success. You gotta make sure that the sex success. Sex, sex. There's gonna be a lot of sex. The There's gonna be a lot of sex. We're doing podcast. Podcast. They're gonna hear Everclear. your voice. There's gonna be a whole, lot of, babies, a whole lot of babies. A whole lot of babies being made. <laughs> no girls. Listen, that's, that's the problem. This is the sexiest episode we've ever had, Chris. Too many women. Too many women. No. Yeah, too no many women. Ladies. Um it's yeah, yes. this is by far the sexiest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> um <laughs> mm -hmm. yes, no, I, I agree. Chris, I'm going to Whoa. offer you an open door policy. Uh, because I'm the owner of this of this place, and uh, oh, thank you. I, I just want to say that uh, eh, you know, eh. definitely. I know we're still wrapping up, but this eh. has been lovely. I love talking about this, and I'd be more than happy to join anytime you'll have me. Yes. Uh, can I throw in one real quick thing? I think maybe uh, Michelangelo, I think you might have seen it, but there was a little featurette that I saw on YouTube in which um, the gentleman who plays um, uh, the lead, Jay Fleming, what's his name? Jason Fleming. He says something like he like calls this film falling down on acid. What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's an appropriate name like a description for the time period that he was saying that, but I do think it's more of a, uh, a secret life of Walter Mitty meets American psycho. I do like that. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, um, in the past, we've usually closed out an episode with Marika saying something in French about the film. So if you could please, 
um, say something in Wisconsin about about the film, we would really appreciate it if you close out with some Wisconsin. Yeah, classic old fashioned Wisconsin news. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, there. Well, I don't mean to be a bother, but if you don't mind watching The Bruiser and listening to a little Misfits, it'd really make me happy there. Okay. Thank you, listener. Uh, Rate and review us. We love you. Thank you, guys.